The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, where the historic and modern are equally valued. Hello, welcome to the Art Newspaper's weekly podcast. I'm Gareth Harris, contributing editor at the Art Newspaper, and I'm standing in for my esteemed colleague Ben Luke, who's away this week. I'm standing in the lobby of the Masterpiece Fair in Chelsea, London, because this week's podcast features none other than Marina Abramovich, the so-called godmother of performance art, who has shown a new set of self-portraits at the fair. The work, made of alabaster, is a dramatic depiction shown at Abramovich in a fragmentary way. The piece was made in collaboration with Factomate, a digital production company in Madrid. Also this week, we'll speak to Nicholas Cullinan, who has organised a major exhibition of works at the National Portrait Gallery in London, focused on Michael Jackson. But first, Marina Abramovich. I just spoke to the artist standing amongst her vapour and alabaster works in the Masterpiece Entrance Hall. I began by asking her about her new project and why the work matters. So the performance is in material form of art. It's a time-based art. You have to be there when it's witnessing. And all that is left is a memory. Okay. So normally I am not so much fan, fan of objects. It took me l- almost 12 years of research how I can make something material but also to have sense of immaterial in the same time. Okay. And it's really um, the alabaster who have transparency and such an old ancient material from Egyptian time that actually really caught my interest because the way how these portraits are made have something that is moving you know in a film sense because you you, are, you have one image in a straight frontally but as soon as you start changing angles images are changing with you till the way that completely dissolved into into abstraction and this is very much to do with this immateriality of performance so that this material can catch has it changed how you see yourself? If we were to walk towards the pieces, it breaks down into, into different shapes and forms, into something much more abstract. How, how do you feel about that? It's, it's exactly reflecting the performance, immateriality of performance. Because when you perform in the front of audience, audi- you know, audience there, you create energy dialogue, audience leave and everything is a memory, it's disappearance. So here is almost showing the process of disappearance in a kind of slow motion, depends on the viewer's speed, looking the image. And then before all this, you have this another curtain who is made just literally from the from the, the condensed uh, water, and this is even more immaterial because you're literally just going through the image. You're, I mean, it's right. People are entering. The, people are entering masterpiece fair. They're literally walking through you. Um, how do you feel about that? Your, your, your image is projected onto a sheet of vapour, literally. Who cares how I feel? The most important about the public things. I don't think it would be so interesting to interview anybody from public because I make my best. I show the work and now it's the public to judge, you know. And, you know, I put everything I have inside. It's a really... I, the, the, what I'm presenting here is a different, different expressions of human emotions. The anger disappears, the, the, the jealousy, the, the, the scream, the, the, the shyness, the, the shame. All of this is there. And one, the last image when you're leaving on the back side of the wall is contemplation. Is this some sort of memorial? Are you obsessed with mortality? <laughs> Who is not? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> I guess we all are. You know, we are so arrogant about the idea that we're going to die and every day we are closer to our dead. And I'm very much realistic about this, you know. So for me, dying is not going to darkness, it's going to light. 
And, and you worked with Facta Marte, the Madrid-based digital production company, on the piece. What was that like? What was a good experience? Working with Adam Love is incredibly satisfying and wonderful experience because he's a kind of mad scientist and inventor. You tell him the problem and he finds the solution. And I went there and spent two months in factory. You know, these pieces are already almost 10 or 8 years we was discussing the materials, trying things, didn't get the right result. And finally, I went there for two months and we worked really hard. And we got not just this piece, but many others that we are preparing for the Royal Academy big show. In, in, it's going to be in September 2020. That was my next question. How are plans going for the Royal Academy show? It's going well because I want to show at least 80% of new work. And that's really big deal because it's uh, first is a very big space. And I don't want to Royal Academy to be another retrospective, which I have already right now. I want Royal Academy to be really a view of the best things I ever made in my life including your work. And there's been a lot of publicity about the work. You'll be shot through with one million volts. Is that all still going to happen? This is totally fake news. <laughs> is because, it really? No, it's so simple. Everybody can do this. It's not me, because I've done already experiments with Tesla, where you, if you're standing on the rubber platform and you can have a light bulb in your hand, you, you can go through 35,000 volts electricity and light bulb is lighting, you become conductor of electricity. This is a Tesla experiment which is very old, since last century. Okay, and, and you say you want to work in a more enduring medium than performance or film. So finally, this has been a bit of a revelation for you to work with a centuries-old material like alabaster, and, you, and you're pleased with the results from what you see in front I, of you. I really like it. I, I mean, I will never do things that I'm not enthusiastic about. But there is expression, there is a drama, there is energy, and I am happy with the result. But it will be interesting to ask three members of public different age what they think about this work. People very who come young, to the fair. Exactly, and people who come to the fair. Have you been to the fair before, to Masterpiece? Never, this is my first time. Okay, you're going to make quite an impact this year with your... I would imagine so, with the sheet of water just at the front. People are walking through it now. They are transfixed. It gives a new aspect to your practice. Yeah. It stretches your practice. It's it's a new part of what you do. Yeah, it's really being there in, in... in the immateriality itself, you know, in the front. Okay. No, it's, you're right, it's another form of materiality. This is the genius I'm talking about. Come here. <laughs> and now we're joined by Adam Lowe from Factor Marte. Marina is just a great artist to work with because she's so full of ideas. Who she came up with the concept, though, yes, the alabaster? We, Did you both decide on this? We, I mean, like most ideas, there's never a clearly defined beginning. There's um, the emergence of a series of thoughts. And Marina wanted alabaster, wanted image, wanted okay. physicality, wanted something permanent, but also didn't want bronze, didn't want material uh, uh, objects, wanted something that, in a way, uh, picked up on all of the work as that Marina's done all her life, and, and actually, with a very subtle turn, uh, rethinks it. Interesting. Because as I said, she literally decomposes in front of you. It blues media, doesn't it? Light, sculpture, spectacle, it's all there. Well, I, I think the idea of actually <laughs> walking, walking through Marina's face, uh, which is in a way one of the things that uh, the artist in presence you yeah. were confronted with. Yeah, and in yeah. this case, uh, you're heading towards uh, an idea of transformation in many ways so uh, you're going actually through the image 
into something yeah. more physical. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The physicality is also made of light. So both this image and this image are both made of light. So I think you know, what's happened, in fact, I mean, the years we've been working, yeah, is yeah. You, you begin, well, Marina begins with a sense of what she wants. Mm. And then it gets honed and then you sleep on it and then you revisit it and then you go back to it and then you rediscover it and then it comes alive and then it dies and then you change it but we took the, all this material on the planet and make something so contemporary <laughs> no exactly exactly we actually make a film out of alabaster it's a movie okay and and for me it's it's, it's a, movie, a movie a movie where the the audience moves Okay. So I think that's the beautiful thing. Here there's an image and then that moment of decomposition where the image breaks down and you're left looking at something that looks like a Chinese landscape or looks like well, exactly. a half thought. As you approach it changes form, you know. So how did the process begin? You went to Madrid for a number of months. How did this work? As I say, it was six years ago. Sorry. I went to meet Adam and we continued talking. I went there for a short period of time, long, longer period of time, and finally, last two months, uh, the all January and February, the project really came to the final Okay. No, I mean, I think the, the whole sense of collaborating between an artist like Marina, who is so full of ideas, who is so uh, energized, and then... Uh, basically there are different members of Factum's team who have very different skills and you start trying to think what is the ideal form that this idea finds and I think this is such a collaborative process it's what happened in Renaissance studios it's what's always happened I mean people share ideas and then they spark off each other and Marina is, is both like the hands-on and like the conductor uh, who is directing it, who's charging it, who's uh, pitch, getting the right pitch. Moulding it. Yeah. yeah. So, for we us, which it. is really important, you know, it's like you come with this kind of new work. What is the response of the public? How the public sees something which is performance and immaterial into something created into the stone, but still immaterial in so many ways. Mm. So, to me, the, the work is going to live through the public eye. So I'm very interested in our reaction. And being here in Masterpieces is quite important because we have a large amount of different type of profession. It, it's interesting. It's going to be in a fair setting. Yeah, it's in a yeah. fair. I don't know if you normally work within that. I don't necessarily go to fairs. This is my actually really fair. I, I came to see this. Um, but I think it's very brave of Masterpiece to put this right in the entrance. So everyone going into a, an art fair that's normally about booths, about, in a way, commerce, suddenly you're in here. This is a feeling like a temple. It's a feeling like a chapel. You're being pushed to be dematerialized as you walk into this space. It's dark, it's reflective, it's meditative. It takes and interaction to a new level. Yeah, and, and it's really, and it's not related to any, you know, kind of specific booth. It's just, a, as he said, really meditative space right before you go to see the rest. And I've loved watching the guards who are checking everyone's bags, who all day today have been coming in and engaging and talking. And I've never seen this happen in an art fair. So they're mesmerized by it yeah, yeah, and yeah. fascinated and watching this image as, as people pass through the image. It's a strange moment. They literally have to pass through you, don't they? Exactly. But, but also it's wonderful when they see the discovering, when they come close and then they start moving and they see the image disappearing. That moment I really like to catch surprise on their faces.
Masterpiece Fair runs from the 28th of June to the 4th of July. And now, from the Queen of Performance Art to the King of Pop. This week, the National Portrait Gallery launches its latest blockbuster, which takes as its subject the pop culture phenomenon that is Michael Jackson. The show, entitled On the Wall, includes works by 48 artists, from Andy Warhol to Isa Genskin, who capture the musician and Billy Jean icon in all his guises, touching on his trials as a child performer, his metamorphosis into the king of pop, and his ever-changing African-American identity. Taking on this hugely influential and at times controversial figure is a bold move. I went to the National Portrait Gallery to meet the curator Nicholas Cullinan and discuss Jackson's impact on art. So, Dr Cullinan, this is such a, an original concept that will, will appeal to all sorts of audiences. How long have you been nurturing this idea? Well, I had the idea about almost 10 years ago, and it's when I was working on an exhibition at Tate Modern called Pop Life, which was about Andy Warhol and his legacy. And in doing the research for that exhibition, I began to realise how many artists from Warhol on had um, been drawn to Michael Jackson, had depicted him. And so that's when the idea first began. So I've been nurturing it for quite some years. It's interesting. You, you've said previously it's rare that there's something new to say about someone so famous, but here that is the case. He's a, a cultural phenomenon. You know, he died in 2009. Is he an artistic phenomenon in that sense? Well, um, I mean, I think there's two things to say to that. Number one is that I don't think before this exhibition, the impact he'd had in the sphere of contemporary art had been really remarked upon in any um, substantial way. And in fact, even the Michael Jackson estate weren't aware of it. Obviously, they knew about his impact and legacy in the sphere of you know music and dance and choreography and fashion, but not in terms of contemporary art. So I think that's one thing. But the other thing is just um, not just the calibre of artists that have been drawn to him or depicted him, but just the sheer number of artists from different generations, artists working across the globe um, in different mediums and often with very different perspectives. So this is not about any one person's take on Michael Jackson and especially not my own, but it's really about a multitude of different perspectives and voices coming together to think about what he symbolised. And in a way, it's about Michael Jackson, but it's not about Michael Jackson. It's about the image of Michael Jackson and what that meant to many different people at different periods. And just the other thing I would say is that as far as I'm aware... In terms of, um, let's say, cultural figures, I think he is by far and away the most depicted. I would imagine the second figure, in terms of just, again, calibre and quantity of artists, would be someone like Marilyn Monroe. If you think about the images made of her by Warhol or by Pauline Boaty, uh, by Richard Hamilton. But, it, I mean, this is 48 artists and it could have been even more. So what, what has the research process been like? Has it been easy to find the works? Um, are there some real discoveries for you in the show? Yeah, well, I just typed in uh, to Google Michael Jackson and artists, and that's what you see. No, um, there was... So it, over the last 10 years, I've been keeping notes. Um, and obviously, I knew that Warhol was the first artist who had been drawn to him in 1982. And of course, they knew each other. And there's a whole room in the exhibition, which is about that reciprocal relationship. And one thing that in a way is a sub-theme of the exhibition is um, Michael Jackson's own interest in and appreciation for art and artists, both art historical and 
contemporary. And um, I think he's possibly, was possibly, much more intelligent than many people um, give him credit for. So when I began the idea for the exhibition here about two and a half years ago, um, I had the nucleus of the checklist. And then actually it just really evolved very organically in the way, the way that lots of the works um, made it into the show, whether it was things that um, haven't been seen before, and there's quite a few things that haven't been exhibited before, or um, there's a few things that were made for the show, was just me talking to an artist um, and they would say, what are you working on? And I'd say an exhibition about Michael Jackson. And so many artists felt very strongly about him and said either I've made something that I want to show you or I would like to make something. So um, it was just very organic. And what are those special commissions? Which artists have made works especially? Uh, just thinking through. So Donald Urquhart, um, which opens the show, he made a wonderful alphabet around Michael Jackson. He's famous for his alphabets of celebrity figures. And I did actually approach him and say, I would love for you to make this for the show. Because when I began the show, I thought I have to have an alphabet of um, Michael Jackson by Donald. And it runs, of course, from ABC uh, to Zombies. Um, and then Dara Birnbaum, actually. Um, and Dara made a piece about him in the 80s, but it was a sort of unrealized sketch for a project. And so we showed that. So those were, the 80s work showed him in silhouette, video stills, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, it's four Polaroids that she took um, from watching MTV when his video for the song The Way You Make Me Feel was playing. And she never really completed the work. So we showed that. Obviously, we showed the kind of um, analog work from the 80s. And she's made these beautiful new prints um, using a digital process and printed on plexiglass. So that was something. Um, and then, uh, well, one artist who made something only in the last two or three weeks was Michael Craig Martin. Um, and I was just doing a studio visit with him and we were talking and he said, I want to make something for this show. Um, and there's more, but it, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't kind of go out to commission. It just happened, um, often in conversation. I mean, what I, what I was struck by is how, Moving some of the works are from Glenn Ligon's self-portrait yeah. at seven years old, which shows Jackson as a child, yeah. to Hank Willis Thomas's piece entitled "Time Can Be a Villain or a Friend," mm-hmm. which shows a, a 1984 edition of Ebony magazine predicting, I think, how Jackson would look in the year 2000. Yeah. So, going through the catalogue, I was struck by those those images and how emotional it can be at times. I don't know how it's affected you as a person or how yeah. you've changed your view of him not just as an icon, but as a person. I mean, do you think you've, you've cha- your perception has changed? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't claim to know Michael Jackson. I mean, not personally, but I mean, I don't claim to know anything special about him. Uh, I don't have any kind of insider knowledge. And I still feel, even after doing the show, he's an enigma. But again, the show is not really about his life or biography. It's about what his image symbolized to many different people. But there is, there are often works or rooms in the exhibition which I think are quite moving um, and indeed sometimes quite political there is about identity and about him as an African-American figure so what are what are some of those rooms how are they split up um well the exhibition is structured broadly chronologically according to his life for the simple reason that if you did it chronologically according to when the work was made it would be very fragmented and piecemeal so broadly you kind of survey his life and it begins with his early life I mean, actually, it begins with um, works that were made more recently, including Kehinde Wiley, which was the last commissioned portrait by Michael just before he died. Um, and we move through his life, but there's thematic rooms within that as well. So it's not it's not trying to narrate the story of his life, but to give people a sense of maybe um, what he accomplished and how that 
inspired or impacted on other people and especially artists? So, um, and which work opens the show? Which is, is there a blockbusting piece that's going to draw people in immediately? So um, one of the works that opens the exhibition, I mean, we begin with Donald Urquhart's Alphabet, and then we actually have um, an extraordinary Keith Haring from 1984, which hasn't been seen for 30 years. But in a way, the first work you see down the vista is Kindy Wiley's portrait of Michael Jackson that was the final commission portrait by Michael in his lifetime, only a few months before he died, um, by Kindy. And it happened because um, Michael was doing a photo shoot in the Brooklyn Museum, and in doing that photo shoot, he said he wanted to do it in the Brooklyn Museum in a place where art lives on forever. He saw one of Kinde's, um large-scale equestrian portraits of a young black man riding um, a horse across the Alps, I presume in the guise of Napoleon crossing the Alps. And he said, I have to meet that artist. And so they began a conversation, and the big commission portrait is the result. And so we thought rather than literally begin at the beginning and end of the ending, it might be nice to somehow reverse that. And then equally, the work that we finish with is Candace Bright's 2005 um, video portrait of Michael Jackson through 16 of his German fans who sing every song from Thriller first to last. Why end on that? Is that a, a very affectionate work in a, in a way? Yeah, I mean, it, it's joyful and occasionally um, more somber. But I suppose it, it felt like a good way to end because it's ending with a reflection of Michael Jackson through other people, not with just an image of him. And in a way, that's what the exhibition is about. It's about Michael Jackson, but it's also about the way that he impacted lots of us and our thoughts and, I suppose, memories and feelings about him and how that may change over time. Did the, did the artists, most of the artists, loan the works directly? I'm just curious yeah. to know where they came from. I can't imagine there are many museum collections. I might be mistaken. Uh, there's a few museums. I mean, the Andy Warhol Museum lent heavily. They lent um, two of the silkscreen paintings about Michael Jackson, but also photographs, and then the time capsules, where Warhol collected a huge amount of material around him. Um, there's other lots of other museum loans, too, um, including the National Portrait Gallery in D.C., uh, but a lot of the work came from the directly from the artists themselves, from their studios. I mean, do you think the exhibition breaks new ground for the National Portrait Gallery in, in any way? Um, yeah, no, I think it definitely breaks new ground. I didn't set out to do that, and um, I only do exhibitions that I genuinely find interesting. So I never do something in a calculated way and think, oh, this will be a blockbuster, or I've, I've got ideas that I often nurture for years, and then there comes a time or a place where it's the right time to do it. And when I started here three years ago, I thought that if you're a gallery which is all about portraiture and issues around identity, that he's an extraordinary prism to with which to think through those issues. So, yeah, you did say in your quote before you think it'll open up avenues about art and identity, which is interesting. Yeah, so basically when I began the exhibition, it was obvious that it was going to be around... Michael Jackson through contemporary art and that already for us was quite different that we haven't worked with this number of living artists there's 48 artists in the show um, 46 of which are alive with the exception of Andy Warhol and Keith Haring so in terms of working with that number of contemporary artists and that's something I've been very keen to bring to the program of the gallery um, but also the range of media so it's not just painting or even photography or sculpture there's also film and video it sort of really expands the idea of what portraiture can be and who do you I mean do you think you will attract new audiences with the show I mean you look into attract Michael Jackson fans or contemporary art aficionados is this 
is this a marketing plan more than anything? When I was working on the exhibition, I realized that if you were going to do it properly and in a way that would be interesting, you had to kind of throw out the rule book. And one of the things that I find quite exhilarating about it is that it's a contemporary art exhibition, but it mixes together artists that often wouldn't be in the same exhibition. So artists of different generations, artists of different sensibilities, um, artists who are younger and emerging or even sometimes not known or artists that have been forgotten about and shouldn't be. Um, and I find that quite exhilarating to kind of literally say, you know what, we're just going to include images which we find evocative or interesting of Michael Jackson by artists that we think are good. And so it really kind of throws those usual categories up in the air. And in terms of who that will attract, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope it will attract, obviously, people who are interested in contemporary art. I hope that our core audience finds it refreshing and unusual and thought-provoking. Uh, I hope that Michael Jackson fans find it interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessary, necessarily always um, a hagiography of him, and it couldn't be because then it would have no real substance. I mean, it's certainly not trying to be in any way disrespectful. It's not speculating on his life. I don't know the answer, so I, I can't really do that. I think it does throw some issues um, around him in, into stark relief, but it couldn't just be a kind of usual sort of tribute show of memorabilia, costumes... So, I mean, it could appeal to lots of different people or it could appeal maybe... That's interesting. You say it's not a hagiography of him, you know, it's not no. a tribute show in that no. sense, you know. No, no, no. I mean, I personally have always been fascinated by him. I have huge respect for his um, artistry and his genius, but obviously he's a complex figure and it would have felt wrong to do an exhibition which um, only looked at the kind of glitz. Yesterday was the anniversary of his death. He died um, nine years ago, and we deliberately didn't open the exhibition yesterday because that would have felt a little tacky. Uh, so it's opening the day after, which feels better. And then it will coincide with his 60th birthday, which is in August. But the point was, I mean, there's, there's a basic thing, which is that when, when I began the show, it takes two or three years to put an exhibition of this scale and ambition together. But also it feels that... Um, falling around his 60th birthday and then moving into the 10th anniversary of his death. That is um, perhaps a moment where we can begin to think about him historically for the first time. That I think when you see all these works, you begin to place him in time and in history and to think about what he accomplished, but also some of the issues around him over identity, aesthetics, actually now um, feel newly relevant, perhaps, that we're more equipped to address or deal with. It's interesting, yes. He's he's a, a an icon for our times, really, in terms mm -hmm. of fluidity across every level. Yeah. Um, there, there was a thirty five percent dip in visitors last year. So, is this very much a crowd pleaser? No, I mean the exhibition. I've had the idea for the exhibition for, as I said, for ten years, and it's been two or three years in the making. So, we actually began this exhibition um, when our numbers were at an all time high, and as we all know, of the last year, uh, the situation in London has got tougher. So, I mean, again, I never do exhibitions because I think that they're going to be a blockbuster. I don't try to second-guess an audience. I, I have great credit in people's um, intelligence and curiosity. So I always do something that I really believe in. And I think if you do something that you find fascinating, there's a chance that other people might feel the same. So I never do things to try to second-guess the public or an audience. But what comes next? How do you top this? You don't, because you can't do the show again. I mean, you can only do the show 
about Michael Jackson because he's the only figure that's attracted this many artists. But I never try to repeat the formula. And I think you should always, the only thing that should unify the projects you do or the program you put together is that everything should be excellent in its category. But that said, I want everything to be different and varied because we should be speaking to different audiences and different age groups, different demographics, people with different perspectives. And sometimes that audience should be mass and broad and inclusive and welcoming. And sometimes that audience necessarily is smaller and more specific, but that's part of your duty and responsibility that you should never try to repeat the same thing or just speak to the same people. And then just finally, how has the show stretched you curatorially, your practice as such? In the past, you've tackled fairly traditional topics like Matisse. This is a very mixed bag. How has this challenged you? Well, um, I actually had the idea for this exhibition. Let's see, I had the idea for the exhibition in 2008, 2009, exactly at the same time as Matisse Cutouts. They, they, they came together and, uh, and also around the same time as something like Twombly and Poussin, the show that was done at Dulwich Picture Gallery. Um, and so for me, they're all kind of concurrent and they're all ideas that stretch back way back into almost my childhood. You know, Matisse definitely, Michael Jackson definitely. Um, so I don't really think that way. I just have certain things that fascinate me. And then if they carry on fascinating me over a number of years, and if the people I talk to about them also think they, that they're interesting or have merit, then I do them. So I don't sort of go out to think, now I'm going to do something really different that's different from what I did before. Or I, just, I don't have an agenda. I just, I don't think that way. It's all intuitive. Um, I mean, I would say that putting the exhibition together was really interesting because it's very different from something I've done before in terms of the number of artists, the range of artists. But the process was the same, which is that you have an idea, you have to remain really true to it and have some integrity. And in this one, I had to be um, thoughtful about the way that I would argue for the exhibition and articulate it, but not somehow try to sway things either or sort of have the last word to give. I wanted to give um, a space to every artist and to the people that write for the catalogue. Great essays from Zadie Smith. Smith. Amazing. And Margot Jefferson. But their views are not my own. You know, we all have very different views. And I wanted to create a space for that. And then, of course, hand that over so that that would then begin a debate with other people that came to see the exhibition or read the catalogue. And I hope it's going to be a debate which is underpinned by respect and tolerance. Um, but there are many different views about him, and there should be, you know, and I, my view isn't necessarily more correct or more important than someone else's view. It's about having a discussion about what these figures mean. Okay, thank you very much. Great, thank cool. you. Michael Jackson on the wall is at the National Portrait Gallery from the 28th of June to the 21st of October. That's it for this week. To subscribe to our daily newsletter, please go to theartnewspaper.com and follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at The Art Newspaper and on Instagram at theartnewspaper.official. Thanks very much for listening.